podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, the Two-Footed Podcast on a Wednesday, 27th of October. We're almost in November. How has this year gone so fast? That is question one of this podcast. Uh, we're brought to you as always by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLPOD, EPLPOD, to get 50% off at checkout. You can download it straight away from the website and get using instantly. 50% off with EPLPOD. Outstanding stuff. LibertyShield.com, folks. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops on Etsy. Right, folks. Carabao Cup last night. Uh, two all Premier League ties. Chelsea won. Southampton won. Goes to penalties. And Chelsea win 4-3. This game notable for Kai Havertz scoring once again while playing as a false nine. Really good performance from him. Saul in the centre of midfield. Absolutely outstanding for Chelsea on the night. And Kepa, the hero on penalties once again. You have to look at Kepa, who has done brilliantly in penalty shootouts since joining Chelsea. He has now saved eight penalties in shootouts. And wonder, is that why he had his tantrum? In the Carabao Cup final. Because he knew he was really good. In penalty shootouts. Did he make himself the villain. Because of something he knew he was good at. Now. There are issues with Kepa obviously. And saving long distance shots. Has been won since he joined the club. But. He is really good. At saving penalties. Now I do find it quite amusing to see. Chelsea fans shouting that they've got, you know, the best goalkeeping pair in the league. As if Kepa isn't a flop. Uh, You paid a world record fee for him. He earns ludicrous amounts of money and he is your backup goalkeeper behind a guy you paid only 18 million for. So I do find that funny, but I do still think he's not a bad goalkeeper. I do think at the right club, with the right manager, in the right circumstances... He could actually be a good goalkeeper for somebody. It just won't be at Chelsea. Too much has happened there. He continues to turn up when asked. And he's done fairly well since Thomas Tuchel took over. Can't really think of many howlers that he's had. 
Um, so maybe his confidence is returning. But if I was him and his agent, I'd be looking for a loan come January. And if I was Chelsea, I'd also be looking for a loan. And get him somewhere for 18 months where he's going to play regularly, get his confidence back up, get his value back up, and try and sell him when he's still have a couple of years left on his existing contract. But good win for Chelsea. Through they go to the quarterfinals. They are still in four competitions. Obviously, the FA Cup hasn't kicked off yet, but they're top of the Premier League. They're going okay in the Champions League, second in the group to Juventus, and through to the quarterfinals here. Uh, Arsenal 2, Leeds United 0. Callum Chambers and Eddie Nketiah with the goals. There's not a whole lot to take from Arsenal in this game because it was largely a, you know, a reserve 11. Leno and goal, Cedric, Ben White did start, Rob Holding, Kolasinac, Elneny and Maitland-Niles in midfield. I thought Maitland-Niles looked pretty good. Uh, Nicholas Pepe, Emile Smith-Rowe and Martinelli behind Nketiah. For Leeds, though, Melier started, Lorente started, Struijk started, Dallas started. That's probably three of their... Well, it's probably the two best fit centre-backs at the minute. Dallas is their best fit left-back. Cody Drama is their best fit right-back. Uh, Calvin Phillips started with Forshaw in midfield. And then it was Harrison, Roberts and James behind Rodrigo. So not massively far away from Leeds starting eleven. I mean, Rafinha would come into that. Bamford, when fit, comes into it, but he's not fit at the minute. Um, Matthias Glish would start over Forshaw, for example. But aside from that, that's their best available eleven. Bar Rodrigo and Glish, who came off the bench, that is their or Rafinha rather and and Glish. That is their best eleven available. Liam Cooper came off the bench. He's the club captain, so they took it seriously, and they got. Fairly comfortably beaten by a second-string Arsenal team. It may be time to get concerned about Leeds. There seems to be something wrong with them right now. I hope Bielsa can solve it. But it is a little bit concerning where they are at the moment. Obviously, their Premier League form has been really bad. And, you know, look, it is only the Cup. It doesn't have any impact on the league. But at the same time... I think he played a strong team trying to get a result, trying to get a performance and build confidence. And that didn't work. Didn't work for them at all. Uh, in the third game, QPR played Sunderland. Nil-nil draw. Sunderland won 3-1 on penalties. The only reason I mention this is because myself and Guy were looking at this before. And Alex Pritchard was on the bench. I, I said to Guy, looking at that Sunderland team, it's not all that long ago since Sunderland were in the Premier League. The only player in that Sunderland starting eleven that I recognise, just well, there's two. There's Lyndon Gooch, who's it's just the funny name, but Luke O'Nine is the only player whose name kind of stood out to me. And the only reason I know his name is because I watched that Sunderland till I die documentary. It's this is a group of players that I don't know, but we were looking at the bench, and Aidan McGeady is there. He's a, a standout name on the bench, and Alex Pritchard, and Alex Pritchard was signed by Huddersfield in January 2018 for £11 million. He joined Sunderland this past summer for free. 
He's only 28. He has moved in his career. He's had two big moves. One to Norwich for about 8 million. And one to Huddersfield for 11 million. Obviously came through the Spurs Academy. Had been with West Ham in, in his youth as well. Left Spurs for 8 million. Left Norwich at a profit for Huddersfield. Played 80 games for Huddersfield in the league. Uh, 83 in all competitions. Had fallen out of favour and uh, and left on a free, which it's tough for him because he was a player who was a Premier League player. Huddersfield brought him to play in the Premier League, and in the eighteen nineteen season, despite the fact that they were awful and went down, he actually wasn't that bad. But having not quite made the grade at Spurs, he dropped down a division done really well, earned himself a move back up, and now he's in League One. And it's weird to me that there was no other, that there was no championship club that wanted him in the summer. Because he is a decent player, clever on the ball, neat and tidy, doesn't do anything spectacular, but doesn't do anything silly either. And as shown at Brentford back in the 14-15 season, when he got 12 goals, can get you a goal from midfield. In that season at Norwich, his only full season at Norwich, he got 7-34 and 34, um, from midfield. He can get you the goals if you give him a little bit of license. And now he's at Sunderland. But it made me look at what Huddersfield did when they came up. Because we always think of Premier League clubs, or Championship club, clubs rather, who come into the Premier League. And you see them spending a lot of money and, you know, some of it works, some of it doesn't. So I thought I'd have a quick look at Huddersfield, just as a complete aside, just something, a little wandering of my own. Huddersfield, in the two years they were in the Premier League, signed 28 players. This is the 17-18 and 18-19 seasons. They signed 28 players, 22 of whom were permanent transfers. None of them currently play for Huddersfield. 22 players they bought over two years, none of them play for the club anymore. Kachunga, De Poitre, Aaron Moy, Tom Inks, Danny Williams. Steve Munay, Scott Malone, Matthias Jorgensen, Abdel Hamid Sabiri, Rob Green, Alex Pritchard, Florian Hatter Gonjic, Jonas Lossel, Ben Hammer, Terence Conglo, Ramadan Sophie, Janino Bakuna, Eric Durham, Adama Diakbi, Demekio Dahuni. Jaden Brown and Carolyn Grant. Now, two of the loan signings that they made, they actually did make permanent. In fact, yeah, two. Um, Hadar Gonage and actually three. Hadar Gonage, Lossel, and uh, Congolo. But all of them have still since left. And if I'm not mistaken, they paid a substantial fee for Terence Congolo. Like, 
12 million or something like that. It was a club record fee. He now plays for Fulham. He was sold for 4 million. So they lost 8 million on him. They lost 11 million on Pritchard. Ramadan Sophie, they paid, I think, 6 million, but that was sort of a swap where Tom Ince went one way and he went the other. But they paid decent money for Tom Ince and they brought him in from Derby. What did they pay for Tom Ince? About 10 million they got it they they got it back to be fair. Steve Munay, I I believe they lost massively on him. I think they got four million back for him having paid about eleven and a half. If you wonder why Huddersfield went down and haven't been particularly good since going down, finished eighteenth in the first season they were down, Danny Cowley came in and saved them. And then somehow got let go. What a ridiculous decision that was. Last season they finished 20th. Barely, barely survived. Now this season they are 8th. But this is year 3 in the championship. So they're finally free of all the mistakes they made when they were in the Premier League. They've probably cleared off some of that debt. Now they're only buying players on free transfers. They brought in... 11 players in the summer, another 11 players, and three more on loan. So 14 new faces. 14 of them. Um, and then he paid a fee for one. Last season, they brought in, Jesus wept, five, 10, 15. They brought in 20 players on loan uh, in total last year. 18 permanently, two on loan. Now, a lot of these players, admittedly, will be kids to go into the academy, but still. How can you bring in that many players in one summer and expect to have cohesion? The season, their first season of the championship, 5, 10, 14, 17. 21 players. That's madness. Absolute madness. Two of the players they brought in on loan that year, Trevor Chalaba and Emile Smith-Rowe, currently doing really well in the Premier League. Chris Willock also in on loan, brother of Joe, uh, currently plays for QPR. Camille Grabara, formerly of Liverpool. They brought in Lossell in the January as well. We brought him back from Everton, having... Let him go. What an absolute mess. How not to run a football club. The Huddersfield Town Guide to complete instability. A uh, bit of Premier League news. West Ham United are planning to increase the London Stadium by 2,500 to bring the capacity to 62,500. It's part of long-term plans for the stadium to reach its full capacity, which would be 67,000. Uh, enhancements to the Bobby Moore and Sir Trevor Brooking stands 
would see the London Stadium become the biggest Premier League stadium in London. Obviously, the Emirates Stadium is Arsenal's and is a magnificent uh, venue for football. It holds 60,704. Um, I think the Tottenham Stadium holds about 60,000 as well. Uh, 62,870. So even with this expansion, they won't top what Tottenham have. Uh, and to be fair, does it really matter how many seats you have? Tottenham Stadium is probably the best football stadium anywhere in the world. It is a triumph. Now, it may well hamstring their ability to be a competitive team for a few years, but the stadium is magnificent and something they can be very proud of. I think the Emirates is a great stadium as well. The atmosphere is a little bit a little bit questionable, but that might just be more to do with how the team has performed in recent years, more than the actual design of the stadium. But I still do miss I still do miss Highbury. Um Highbury was a great place to go. Um Matty Cash, Aston Villa right back is poised to play for Poland. Matty Cash could make his international debut for Poland next month after being granted citizenship of the country. He was born in Slough, but his mother comes from Poland and Cash is now free to represent them. This is a very important and proud day for me and my family, he wrote on Instagram. My application to get Polish citizenship has been approved by the Polish authorities. Now it's time for a new challenge. I will give my all for this country. Head coach Paolo Sosa said there was a lot of enthusiasm about playing for Poland in Cash's family, adding playing in the national team is not only a great responsibility, but also something additional, which is very difficult to describe in words. This is a really, really good get for, for Poland because Matty Cash is very, very good. And unfortunately for him, he has come through at a time where England are just ridiculously loaded at right back. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Rhys James, Max Ahrens, James Justin, Tariq Lamptey, all 24 and under. You've still got Kyle Walker knocking around. You've still got Kieran Trippier knocking around. Maddie Cash is just unfortunate that there is incredible competition at right back for England at the moment. And I'm really glad to see him do this, to make the move and go and play for Poland, to not be stubborn, to not be overly proud and sit back and think, I'll wait and I'll be happier with one England cap, which he probably would have gotten. At some point, he would have gotten an England cap. But he can go and play for Poland and get 60 caps. You know, and I look at the likes of Patrick Bamford, who... Look, I was delighted for him when he got his England cap, but he could have 60 or 70 Irish caps. He really could. If Jack Grealish had stuck with Ireland, he'd have 50 or 60 caps by now. What's he got for England? Like 12, 14 maybe? Um, I know Grealish is, is sort of working his way into being a starter. He's 17 caps. He'd have 50 plus for Ireland if he'd wanted them. Um, but that's fine. I, I, you know, he's... He's in the England team and he's he's very happy. But for Bamford and people like that, you know, one cap, two caps, go and get 50. Go and, go and play international football. Don't just get a call up. 
don't just be part of the squad for a little while. Go and play international football. Um, so credit to Maddie Cash. I think this is really good. A uh, huge blow for Brentford. David Rea ruled out for at least four months with a knee injury. Now, I'm not a big fan of Rea, but he had started the season quite well and was performing at a fairly impressive level. He minimized his mistakes. He was looking quite good with the ball at his feet, and he'd obviously made some excellent saves. Um, the posterior cruciate ligament, the PCL, which isn't as important as the ACL, it would seem, uh, and is about a four to f- four to five month recovery period. Apparently, there is a surgery to repair it, but it's quite difficult. And oftentimes it's allowed to just heal by itself. Interesting. That is a big blow for him and for them, but in particular for him. Because obviously playing in the Premier League is something he's worked hard on. Four to five months. I couldn't even tell you who Brentford's backup goalkeeper is. But I guess we'll all find out fairly soon. Let's see. Brentford FC. Goalkeepers. Uh, David Rea. Okay. Alvaro Fernandez. Is that it? That would appear to be it. They have two goalkeepers in their squad. Some teams have four. They've got two. Uh, they own Patrick Gunnarsson, an Icelandic player. But he's currently on loan. At Viking in Norway. They own Ellery Balcom, English player. Good young goalkeeper as well, I think. Isn't he the kid that's been capped? Yeah, he's been capped under 18, 19, and 20 level by England. He's out on loan at Burton Albion. I do wonder if he will be recalled now. But Alvaro Fernandez at Brentford on loan from Huesca in Spain. One-year loan with an option to buy. Hmm. Interesting. Don't know anything about him. Don't know anything about him at all. Um, last season, he played for Huesca, and they got relegated. Season before, he was with them two in the second division. Uh, he was with Extremadura in the second division before that, so he's only really had... One season in La Liga and his team got relegated. Now, he only played 22 games. He didn't play them all. So, perhaps he is uh, to be cleared of some of the blame for what went on there. What other goalkeeper do they have? Not that it really matters. Someone called Andreas Fernandez. Uh, no relation, I assume. But, yeah, Alvaro Fernandez, it is time for you to step up, son. You are going to need to be impressive because the Premier League is no joke. And um, your team's in a little bit of a dip at the minute. Form is good. Performances are good. But the results have not been. So you need to turn that around fairly quick. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, 
There's more Manchester United content. And uh, then we'll wrap up with the gossip. So I'll see you in a few minutes. Right, welcome back. So, yesterday spent quite a bit of time talking about Manchester United and how we got to where we are. Mistakes in the transfer market, mistakes in managerial appointments. Ollie's not the latest. Ollie is just the latest in a series of mistakes. He is the third poor appointment they've made. Now, I, I think Moyes was a poor appointment. I think Van Hal had merit. The more I think about it, he wasn't a world-class manager anymore, but I think he had merit in his appointment. And look, he got them into the top four. Um, Mourinho was a mistake, and Oli on a permanent appointment was a mistake. But it is crazy to think that a club that had Alex Ferguson in charge for 26 years, or 27 years, or whatever it was, um, is now in a situation where they're on their fourth manager in eight years and he may well be sacked. And f fifth manager, if you include Giggs's stint as a caretaker, and Ollie is likely to be sacked in the coming weeks. So loads of reports yesterday, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson fought the corner of Ollie and was at the training ground yesterday and all this kind of stuff. And you do just have to look at the situation and think, does Fergie have too much input? Has Ferguson really ceded the throne at Old Trafford? Or is he still fingers in all the pies from up above? Because we know he appointed Moyes. And we know that Ollie was his choice as a caretaker. And that he was a big time proponent of giving Ollie the job permanently. Now, was that because he thought that he could then influence decisions? Maybe. I certainly imagine that he enjoys the reverence with which Ollie treats him and speaks about him. The fact that Ollie doesn't have the testicular fortitude to park in the manager's spot at the training ground is a particular source of amusement to me. Um, and I'd imagine to Ferguson as well. But you have to wonder, like, when the next manager arrives, is Ferguson going to be completely hands-off? Is he going to take a step back? He seemed to take a step back during the Van Hal era. He and Mourinho had a fairly good relationship by all accounts. But I don't know how much of his counsel Jose would have sought. But Ferguson is more involved now than ever before. He seemed to be willing to give Moyes a bit of breathing room. And he was probably enjoying his retirement for the first couple of years. Now I think he's bored. I spoke about this a little bit yesterday, but you look at the summer business where they didn't need Jaden Sancho and they didn't need Cristiano Ronaldo. And the Sancho thing was definitely driven by the ownership telling Ollie Woodward and whoever else, get us a star and shut these fans up. Get us a star 
to make people forget about all the terrible things we've done as owners. Cristiano appears to have been a signing dictated by Ferguson's ego. He couldn't sit back and watch that guy go to Manchester City. And he would have gone to Manchester City. He would have gone anywhere. Because once Juventus told him he wasn't wanted at the start of the summer, he went into a huff. Mendes was trying to find him moves all summer long. And it only became public at the last couple of days of the window when it was very close to him going to City. But Ferguson's ego wouldn't allow it, and Cristiano went to United. And to give you an an idea of how little effort he's putting in, on Sunday, Roberto Firmino pressed more in the final third than Cristiano has in every single game he's played all season. In 90 minutes... In one-third of the pitch, Firmino pressed more than Cristiano has all season long. Just consider that for a second. That doesn't even include the press for the fifth goal, where he took the ball off, Pogba, Henderson stepped in, finished the tackle, played the pass. Doesn't include that. This is just final third. That's ridiculous how little he's offering the team. So the latest obviously is that Oli is staying. The latest is he's going to be given these next three games or whatever it is to to see if he can turn things around. As I mentioned yesterday, we've got the hype train of the player agents, you know, with the back scratching journalists, feeding them the nonsense. This player's not happy about this. Ollie does this. Oh, it's all a big disaster. Anything to lift the blame from the players. And look, I was one of the first to say Ollie is a PE teacher. He has no business at United. I've said it ever since. But he was not entirely to blame for what happened on Sunday. He is not entirely to blame for the situation that club finds itself in. He took over a club going in the wrong direction. He is at the wheel of a club still going in the wrong direction. But he didn't point it that way. He didn't get it moving. He just hasn't been able to turn it around. I doubt he wanted Cristiano Ronaldo because I think he's had a tough enough time dealing with Pogba, dealing with that ego, that laziness. And Pogba is a lazy player. There's nothing you can tell me that's going to convince me otherwise. When you watch Paul Pogba play for Manchester United, lazy is the only word that should come to mind. That guy does not care, does not run, does not try. Look at his performance at the weekend. Gave the ball away for a goal and got sent off. He was only on the pitch 15 minutes. That's what he did. Gave the ball away for a goal and got himself sent off. He doesn't care about Manchester United. Paul Pogba cares about Paul Pogba. Cristiano Ronaldo cares about Cristiano Ronaldo. And we've got Pogba's agent leading the charge to disparage Ollie. We've got Pogba, now not Pogba himself. 
I'm not blaming him for this. I blame him for his performance. I don't blame him for the circus. That comes from Mino. But the latest on Pogba, now it's from the spoofer with the catchphrase. So you take it with a pinch of a, a bag of salt. Is that Pogba will not stay at United if Oli stays at United. If Oli is staying, Pogba will not sign a new contract. That does sound like the type of thing Mina Raiola would say. Let's be honest. It sounds like the type of thing he would say. Now, Donny van der Beek apparently will force a move from United in January if Oli is still in charge. Donny van der Beek changed agents recently, and I would have to wonder, did he change agents to Mina Raiola? Because again, it came from the spoofer. So it wouldn't surprise me if Mina was playing little games. Now, maybe Mino, Donny, and the spoofer don't understand how this works, but if Ollie wants, he can send Donny van der Beek to play with the under-23s and leave him there for the next three and a half years that's on his contract. And there's nothing Donny, Mino, anybody could do about it. You see, if I was Ollie, I would wave goodbye to Paul Pogba. First out the door would be Paul Pogba. And then I would bar Mina Riola from ever setting foot at Old Trafford, at the training ground, anywhere to do at Manchester United. And I would tell each and every player, if you sign with him, that will be the end of your Manchester United career. Because he has done nothing but create unrest and discontent at Manchester United for the entirety of Pogba's time there. He did it on behalf of Lukaku, who wasn't even his client, but was Pogba's buddy. When Zlatan was there, he created a circus about it as well. United need to stop doing business with Mina Riola because it doesn't do them any good. So, if Oli has these games to save his job, those games are Leicester, Atalanta, and Manchester City. Now, the, the original Italian spoofer, the OG Italian spoofer, is not Di Marzio. Di Marzio is the one that took it mainstream. But for those of us who remember the good old days, oh, sorry, it's Spurs, not Leicester. It's Spurs, Atalanta, and City. They played Leicester and lost. Thank you, Guy. Um, for those of us that remember the good old days, you will remember that the OG of Italian spoofing is Tancredi Palmieri. Mr. Espressino, not Espresso, himself. This is the guy who made up more nonsense over the years than anybody else just for the sake of promoting himself. He is most famous on Twitter as a meme, as a character in Vine videos and probably TikTok videos now. Everything seemed to be set. Espressino, not espresso. 
what a goal, better than Van Basten, better than blah, blah, all of those things. This guy is a spoofer. So he has come out and said, jumping on the bandwagon, looking to get that nice appearance cash. Manchester United have told Conte they don't want him getting burned by three games in eight days. So they're going to hold off on bringing him in. Now, what that what that means is they're happy to lose to Spurs and, Un- and City and potentially take themselves out of the running for top four. That's what that's that's what that's an admittance of. That's what Palmieri is suggesting United are willing to do. Take themselves out of the running for top four by losing games to Spurs and City in order to protect a manager who doesn't work for them yet. And may never work for them. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre that he would make that claim. Now, I don't believe for one second that United have approached Conte yet. But I do believe he would be high on their list of replacements for Ollie. And at a glance, you can understand it. At a glance, you can absolutely understand why they would want him. He is one of the best managers in world football. Of that, there can be no doubt. He's sensational. And he has won three league titles with Juventus, a league title with Chelsea, and a league title with Inter Milan. He's also won two Super Cups in Italy, an FA Cup with Chelsea, and he was runner-up in the Europa League with Inter. He also won Serie B with Barry back in the day. He's a great manager. Now, a lot of the English media have now started to say, oh, Conte is keen, but all of this is based off the Italian spoofers. All of this is based off them. And what's funny to me is that in Italy, none of these journalists that we're aware of are in any way regarded. Romano, De Marzio, Palmieri, all the Shearer, all the rest of these guys. They're all viewed in Italy the same way people in the UK and Ireland would view guys that write for the Star and the Mirror and the Daily Mail and that other rag that I won't name. Because that's the type of journalist they are. They're tabloid journalists. Gutter press. And yet they come to the UK market with their accent And people go, oh, he definitely knows what he's talking about. He's Italian, so of course he knows about this other Italian. As if there's only 15 of them. As if every Italian knows each other. For example, why do we not believe every English journalist when they speak about an English manager or player? Because we know that they're spoofers. But yet these Italians come across and we automatically assume... Definitely knows what he's talking about. It's like with Guy and Balaga back in the day. Guy and Balaga appeared on the scene in England in the mid-2000s, telling stories. He knew what was up. He had his fingers in all the pies. He was connected to everybody. He knew nobody. He had no connections to anybody. He was a laughing stock in his own country. But Spanish players had become a thing in the Premier League because of Benitez. 
Alonso, Torres, etc. And the loads more followed from there. So in came this Spanish wizard to tell us all the behind-the-scenes stuff about these players. And people bought it hook, line, and sinker. Self-promoting spoofers. And yet, it just gets gobbled up. Gobbled up. It's one of the most amazing phenomenons in football right now is the gullible nature of people when they hear someone with a foreign accent talking about players from a foreign land. It really is magnificent. And like these websites and newspapers that these people represent, they know how gullible they are, which is why you have a Spanish website, Fajajes or whatever the hell it's called, t- telling you a story about an English club wanting a Portuguese player from a French club or whatever it is that they couldn't possibly have insight in. But because they've got a foreign name, <laughs> we're willing to accept It's madness. But Antonio Conte, regardless of all of it, would be a dreadful appointment for United right now. He is such a bad fit with this squad. It's it's almost funny. But because United are approaching manager number five post-Ferguson, five in what will be eight and a half years, Ferguson retired in May of 2013. We're about to see manager number five come through the door. Not counting Giggs's tenure, of course. The fifth permanent manager. Madness. But anyway, Conte. This squad just doesn't fit what he wants to do. Now, Miguel Delaney... Solid journalist, write good stuff. He's done very well with covering certain things over the last few years, including the the Manchester City financial doping. He tweeted that he covered Conte when Conte was at at Chelsea because he was Delaney was based in London at the time, and he said that he's a manager who finds a system to make things work, and that is true. He did point out he's not a defensive manager. That is a myth. Uh, He wants his teams to play a high-pressing style. They're just very, very good defensively. He drills them really well. Um, He did say Conte's preference is four at the back. And his logic for that is that Conte's thesis, when he was getting his pro license in Italy, was based on four at the back. And it actually wasn't. It was based on a system of 4-3-1-2. A system Conte has never played frequently as a manager. Conte has always reverted to a back three. Sometimes immediately upon taking the job, sometimes he gives a little bit of breathing room. At Chelsea, for example, he tried the 4-2-3-1. Never did he try 4-3-1-2. Never. When Conte wrote that, number 10s were quite prevalent in world football. Zidane was still knocking about. He would retire at the end of that season, but Zidane was still in the area as Conte was writing his thesis. Ronaldinho, of course, was at the peak of his powers. Kaká was becoming a major star. Number 10s were prevalent when Conte wrote that piece. 
But that piece is 15 years old. Don't you think he might have changed his views ever since? Don't you think if he really wanted to play it back for, he would do so? But he has purposely bought players to play a back three. Each stop along the way. Conte wants to play a back three, and that's what he would do if he arrived at Manchester United. The only way you can accommodate Harry Maguire in a team where you want to press is by playing a back three. You cannot play Harry Maguire in a back four team that's going to press high up the pitch because to press high up the pitch, you need to play a high defensive line. And if you play a high defensive line with Harry Maguire, you are going to get cut apart time and time again. United didn't even play a high line against Liverpool and they still got carved apart. He was at fault for at least three of the goals. At least three. He's at fault for the Jota goal because he lets the ball go by him and doesn't get back in position as Naby Keita finds Trent who cuts the cross in for Jota. He's at fault in Salah's second goal. Yeah, Salah's second goal. Look at his positioning. Look where he is. Atrocious. And look at him for the third goal. Or the fifth goal, rather. Just, just have a look at him for the fifth goal. So the only way you're getting away with playing Maguire in a high-pressing team is in a back three. So that will suit Conte. But what's he going to put around him? So you imagine he puts Varane to one side. And that's fine. Varane will be absolutely fine. He's a, he's a really good defender. Who's the other side? Is it Lindelof? Well, that's a bit a bit of a slow side now. Is it Bailly? He plays maybe eight games a season. Is it Luke Shaw? Potentially, and that, that could work. I've said this before. Varane, Maguire and Shaw could absolutely work. And Varane and Shaw would be the ones to cover for Harry Maguire when they play that high line and teams play him behind. The problem is Luke Shaw isn't that quick, doesn't have the best positional sense himself, and tends to not hold a very good defensive line. So now you're heavily reliant on Varane, and the issue for Varane is he's not as quick as he used to be. But you could get by with Varane, Maguire, and Shaw. Alex Tellez at left wing back, perfect. You don't have a right wing back. You could play Diogo Delos. He's not very good. You can't play Juan Basaka as a wing back. His never mind his second touch being a tackle. His first touch is a tackle. You can play two or three in midfield. If you play two in midfield, you can't play Bruno Fernandes in your team. If you play three in midfield, you can only play two up front. Bruno can't play in a midfield two. You don't have anybody good enough to start in a midfield two. If you play a midfield three, you could go Bruno, a new holding midfielder, and Fred. Fred will be fine in a three. He's not great. He's not spectacular. He'll fill a gap for a while. If you play a two, Fred's not great in a two. Bruno can't play a two. 
Pogba can't play a two. You need to get rid of Pogba anyway. If you've got any designs on pressing, Pogba needs to go. Now, Conte managed Pogba before, had one really good season with him, in a three with Vidal and Marquisio. Or Vidal and Pirlo. United don't have a Vidal. Don't have a Pirlo. Don't have a Marquisio. Don't have anyone with that level of intelligence or the work rate and ball winning ability of Vidal and Marquisio. So you could play Pogba in a midfield three, but Bruno would have to sit on the bench and you don't have anyone for the other two roles. Up front, if you're playing a midfield three, there's no spot for Sancho because he can't play in a front two. So there's a problem straight away. You've got £75 million worth of player not getting in your team. Um, Conte likes to have a physical number nine, a target man type to lead the line from. Lukaku, Diego Costa, Fernando Loriente, he had Mandzukic, that type of player. United have Cavani. Not the most physical player, but can lead the line really well. So Cavani starts. Well, who starts with him? You've got Rashford, you've got Greenwood, you've got Martial, and you've got Cristiano. So you're going to start Cristiano? Is your front two really going to be Cristiano Ronaldo? And Edinson Cavani. Because Cavani will have to do all, all, all of the legwork. Every single bit of it. Conte insists that his players press from the front. Insists. Cristiano doesn't press. Cavani would have to do all of the pressing. Cavani is 34 years of age with a lot of miles in his legs. 631 club games, 126 international games, 750 senior appearances. Cristiano Ronaldo has played even more. He's even older. He's 36. He'll be 37 in the same month that Cavani turns 35. He has played 906 club games, 182 international games, approaching 1,100 senior games. Between the two of them, they're not far off 2,000. They're about 150 off 2,000. These are the guys that you would want leading the line. Is that these are the guys that are going to do what Conte wants. Behind them, a midfield of Bruno Fernandes as a right-sided eight, Fred as a left-sided eight, Alex Tellez as the left wing-back, defensive midfielder to be named later, and right wing-back to be named later. Who do they have to fill these roles? McTominay? No positional sense. Not a particularly good ball winner. Not a defensive midfielder. Wan-Bissaka? 
he's going to be your outlet. Oh, but he used Victor Moses. Victor Moses is good on the ball. Victor Moses wasn't good defensively, but he was good on the ball. He was a winger. Victor Moses could do things on the ball. Aaron Wan-Bissaka cannot. Aaron Wan-Bissaka's only real place in a Conte team is in a back three. If you put him in the back three, maybe you can move Luke Shaw to left wing back, but you're leaving out Alex Tellez, who's a better wing back than Shaw. And you've still got a big hole at right wing back. You've still got a hole in defensive midfield. And are you really going to trust the positional sense of Juan Bissaka next to Maguire? And Conte doesn't like to use young players. You look at him at Inter, Bastoni is the only one who broke through under him into the first team and played regularly. As a left-sided centre-back, a left-footed left-sided centre-back, which was something Conte needed for the back three. And Bastoni is a very special talent. Now, Greenwood's a special talent, no doubt. But is he going to play over Cristiano? No. He's not going to play over Cristiano. Now, Conte might well. But then does Conte want the fight with Cristiano? Because that will end up in a fight. Where Cristiano's out of the team throwing tantrums and launching hand grenades in the media. And creating more unrest. Conte would be a mistake for United right now. He's a great manager. And if they were in a better position with a better group of players. Or a group of players that actually fit together. Then maybe you'd go and get him. Conte's the guy you bring in. If you're on the verge of title contention, if you think you have a group of players good enough. For example, I think if you gave Conte the Leicester team, I think he could have a run at the league. Genuinely. I think he could have a run at winning the league title with that Leicester team. A back three of Evans, Fafana and Sayonchu. Castanier and Pereira as wingbacks. I think he would go Sumare and Didi Thielemans as a midfield three. I think James Madison is the one that misses out. And then he plays either Barnes or, or sorry, either Vardy or Barnes up alongside a Pats and Daka or more likely an Ian Acho who's got good hold up play. I think the only thing he needs at that club is that more physical number nine. Everything else, I think, is there for him. That's the type of thing, walk-in, one-signing, title challenger. Maybe not title winner, title challenger. At United, to play his style of football, they need a right wing back, at least one in midfield, and a number nine. They're at least three players away. And that's giving the benefit of the doubt to Maguire, to Wan-Bissaka potentially as a centre-back. But they're at least three players away. They've got a massive Paul Pogba issue and a massive Cristiano Ronaldo issue that they'd have to deal with. 
Now, whoever comes in has to deal with them anyway. But I don't think Conte would want to deal with them. And the thing as well about Conte is wherever he's gone, he's generally had competent people above him. So he goes to Juventus, and he's got Beppe Morata above him. One of the best team builders in world football, not just now, but ever. So he has that stability. Juventus have a structure that they've put in place before getting the manager. Now, Chelsea was different. Chelsea don't really have a structure. They've got Marina at the top, a lot of moving parts, and then a manager who is always a caretaker manager. No matter what, at Chelsea, the manager is always just a caretaker because they never stay long. Three years is probably about it, and they'll move off them. One bad season and goodbye. Conte won a Premier League, an FA Cup the next year, and they were okay with him leaving. Now, he wanted to leave the previous summer, but that was down to a disagreement and transfer policy. They still bought him players. He just didn't want, he just didn't want them. But he inherited a much better situation at Chelsea than he would inherit at United. A much better situation. He inherited a team at Chelsea who'd won the title two years previously. Or 12 months previously, I should say. He inherited a good squad at Chelsea. Made some changes. Binned off John Terry. Got things going. Won the league. He goes to Inter. Who's there? Maratha. They've been building something. There's the bones of a good squad in place. A couple of additions. And on you go. At United, who are the decision makers? When Woodward leaves, as he's meant to at the end of this calendar year, who's taking over? Who's going to be in charge? They've got a director of football strategy. They've got a director of football negotiations. They've got a technical director. Like, what do these people do? What does Darren Fletcher do? Of a day. Because all three of those roles should be encompassed in one role, either sporting director or director of football, whatever way you want to look at it. There's no need to have three people. So are, are any of them any good at their jobs? Because I remember looking at them all when they were appointed and none of them had a whole bunch of experience in their roles. And the one who did was the head of negotiations, the same guy that agreed to pay 80 million for Harry Maguire and 50 million for Aaron Wan-Bissaka. He's your head of negotiations. What does he negotiate? The price up? If United want to be smart about this, what they will do is they will take their time. They may just have to throw this season away. But what they will do is they will appoint a real director of football and they will allow that person to decide the next manager. And they will figure out where they want to go, what strategy they want to have. The two names that make the most sense from a where they are now point of view, in my opinion, are Eric Ten Hag 
from Ajax. Great developmental coach, good tactician, promotes youth, creative, not married to one way of playing, and can turn things around pretty quickly. Comes from the Guardiola line. So United for years have been fawning over Pep Guardiola. Internally and through the fans, fawning over Pep. Ten Hag worked with Pep at Bayern, has a similar mindset, similar way of doing things, and will take advantage of what United do have going in their favour. A great academy, a talented group of players, though mismatched, there's a lot of talent there. Nobody can tell me they wouldn't be excited about the long-term future of a Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford front three. Nobody. With Bruno as an eight, that is a four that will lead to good things. You can peg Varane at right centre-back and Shaw at left-back. Maybe Fred is your left-sided left midfielder. Maybe you move on from him and get someone else. You've got De Gea in goal. You've got a lot of good things going on. Now, you do have two problems with Ten Hag's style of play and United's squad. He wants his team to press high up the pitch. He plays a back four. You cannot play a back four and press high up the pitch with Harry Maguire. He's too slow. He's too slow. Otherwise, you're going to play a deep block your midfield and attack are going to press and you're going to leave a large amount of space in front of that defence. The other problem is, even if you get Maguire playing high up and you're willing to take the gamble and rely on Shaw and Varane to try and bail him out, you also need your goalkeeper to play as a sweeper keeper. You cannot press with a goalkeeper who doesn't leave his six-yard box. And David De Gea doesn't leave his six-yard box. So David De Gea is not the ideal goalkeeper for Eric Ten Hag. But look, they're not in an ideal situation anyway. For Ten Hag to come in, they will need a goalkeeper. Now, maybe you can still manipulate Dean Henderson to playing more as a sweeper-keeper. He's not great with his feet, so you probably want to look elsewhere. But Andre Onana will be on a free in January. So you could go uh, on free next summer. You could sign him in January on a pre-contract or just go and buy him. And he's ideal for Ten Hag's style of play because he's been in Ten Hag's style of play. So you could go and get him. You need a right back. That's plain as day. You need a right back. You need that anyway. Max Ahrens, just saying, he's going to be available. 25 million will probably get it done. He's really good in the ball. He's quick. He will learn how to defend a bit better. He's already shown improvements over the last few years. Max Ahrens. You could probably get away with Lindelof at centre-back next to Varane. It would be better in a high line than Maguire. But if you insist on Maguire, you, you insist on Maguire. But Aaron's Varane, Maguire and Shaw in front of Onana makes a lot more sense than it does in front of De Gea. You'll need a holding midfielder. So you need a right-back, a goalkeeper, and a holding midfielder for his style of play. You'll get away with Fred. You could play McTominay as the eight if you want instead of Fred, whatever. You still need three players. Just like Conte, 
But those three players are cheaper and easier to get than what Conte needs. And his holding midfielder, Ten Hags, doesn't need to be of the same kind of level as what Conte would demand. Conte will demand a Rice uh, and Ndidi, a 75 million type of set of holding midfielder. I think you'd pick up a 25 million pound holding midfielder that would do the job for Ten Hag. Bubakar Kamara, by the way, also available on a free next summer, could get him in January on the cheap. Bring him in, say it's 10 million, say it's 5 million for Onana and Max Aarons. There's 40 million across three spots and you're massively improved. Massively improved. You play Bruno, you play Fred, you play that front three I mentioned. Yes, you've got to bin Cristiano off. Yes, you've got to say goodbye to Paul Pogba. But that's a team. That's a team you can develop. It's a team that come next summer, you can add to, you can replace Fred. You can upgrade maybe at centre-back if you want to upgrade at centre-back. But it gives you a basis for what Ten Hag will want to do. The other one I really like is Lupetegui at Sevilla. Now, I don't know if he'd be open to the job, but he's a really good developmental coach. He would maximise the potential of that academy. He would put a real focus on it. His teams play good football. He's won a Europa League, so he's had success at Sevilla. He's gotten them into the Champions League. His time with Real was a disaster, but he was put in an impossible situation. He's a really good coach. Now, the two in Britain you could look at are obviously Rodgers and Graham Potter. The only issue I take with Rodgers is Rodgers wants to be paid like an elite level manager, which he isn't. And I... I'm fairly certain Brendan Rodgers is not good enough to win you a title. I don't know about Potter. I don't know about Lupetegui. I don't know about Ten Hag. I think they could. I don't think Rodgers can. I don't think Rodgers is good enough from the defensive side of things. And we've all seen what happens at the end of seasons in pressure situations. So, is And also, his European record is an abomination. Now, Potter doesn't really have a European record to speak of. But Ten Hag has done well in Europe got to a Champions League semi-final and Lupetegui has won in Europe so I would say they have that over Rodgers I think they will be it's very difficult not to have a better eye for talent than Brendan his is quite well it's, it's staggeringly poor but Rodgers wouldn't be a bad appointment I just I, I just think those two and Graham Potter would be better because I think you're getting fresh ideas less ego more promotion of youth, more flexibility, more potential. If I was United, I would go one of those three. Graham Potter, he'd be number three. Lupetegui, he'd be number two. And Eric Ten Hag. He would be my number one choice if I was making the decision for Manchester United right now as to who to bring in. I would go Eric Ten Hag. He is very, very good. And I think he would be open to the job. I genuinely do. He's been at Ajax now for four years. Before that, he spent two years at Utrecht. And before that, he spent two years working under Pep. He spent a year at Go Ahead Eagles as well. 73.5% um, win percentage with Ajax. 
He's won two titles. They're on course to win another one this year. He's won two cups. Like I said, Champions League semi-final. Yes, it's the Eri Divisie, but he has proven he can win. I don't think he's another Frank De Boer. At least for his sake, I hope he's not. But him, Lupetegui, or Graham Potter, they're the three I think should top the list for United. Lupetegui's 55, so he's not as young as the other two. But he's been around, he's been managing and coaching a long time. He's been a coach since 03. He's got nearly 20 years of experience. I think he's really good. I do. I think he's really good. I really like how his team play as well. I really like the style of football. And maybe he can bring Jules Kunde with him. Wouldn't that be nice? Jules Kunde would be an enormous improvement at centre-back for Manchester United. Um, if you get Potter, maybe he could bring... I, well, we won't. I don't know what the situation is with Basuma at the minute, but if he could bring him, Basuma would be a, a massive improvement on United's midfield. Now, I'd play him as an eight in their midfield, not as the six. But, you know, I, I think those are three really good options for United. And, and you couldn't... Rodgers would be a perfectly good option. If I was Brendan, I wouldn't leave Leicester for United, though. Not now. Not considering the team that you have at your disposal. Because, genuinely, De Gea is better than Casper. Pereira is better than Juan Bissaka. Now, he's not fit at the moment, but I would rather have Fafana than Varane. Because I know what Varane is. Fafana has this amazing potential. Absolutely amazing potential. To be something really special. I'd rather have Sancho over Maguire. I'd rather have Evans over Lindelof. Now, I would rather Eric Bailly over Vestergaard, but I'd rather anything over Vestergaard. Um, Shaw is better than Castanier. But I'd rather have James Justin than Alex Tellez or Diogo Delot or any... I'd actually rather have James Justin over any United fullback. I'd rather have Pereira and Justin than Wan-Bissaka and Shaw. I'd, I'd take three of the Leicester back four over the United uh, alternatives. In midfield, Tielemans and Madison are so much better than, say, the likes of... Fred McTominay, you still got that's not mentioning Ndidi and Sumare compared to Matic. But if I have that option of Ndidi, Sumare, Tielemans, Madison, or I can take Pogba, Matic, Fred McTominay, taking the Leicester four every time. Every time. Now I'd take Bruno over, say, Harvey Barnes, but I love Harvey Barnes. But when you've got Daka, Iheanacho, Vardy, Aosi Perez, Albrighton still knocking around, Adamola Luckman, it's not quite as good as the United group, obviously. But I think I'd prefer them. I think they're more willing to work for the team. I think they fit the system a lot better. I think, genuinely, United have, have a slight talent edge because, you know, Sancho Greenwood, Rashford, whatever. 
But Leicester have a better defence, individual defenders, not the team, individually. Brendan's going to make the defence worse when he arrives because he's just not a good defensive manager, a defensive coach. It's as simple as that. He just isn't. Everywhere he goes, the defence gets worse. But I would rather have the Leicester back four of Pereira, Fafana, Soyuncu and Justin than the United back four of Wan-Bissaka, Varane, Maguire and Shaw. I would rather have the Leicester group. And I'd much rather have Leicester's central midfield options. If I was putting together a combined 11, I think I would have more Leicester players than United players. It'd be close. It could even be 6-5 United. But the Leicester players that aren't getting in, I like more than the United players that aren't getting in. I think Brendan would be actually foolish to leave for Manchester United. Genuinely. If I was him, I, I would go to an Arsenal or a Tottenham, even though they're worse than Leicester, because it's London, and that would factor into it. But I don't know that I'd do it for United. Because I also think at Chelsea or at Spurs and Arsenal, you're going to get more time. You're going to get less pressure than you will at United, where you walk in on day one, it's like a furnace. So... I'll go ahead and say, put Brendan on the list, but if I was him, I wouldn't do that. I would, If I was them, I would look at those three. Ten Hag, Lupe Tegi, and, uh, and Potter. And I wouldn't really look much further than that. Brendan, whatever. I would look at those three. And I would make each of them say no. I would go to Ten Hag and make him say no. Make him say no to the job. Because I don't think he would. And if he did, then I go to Lupitegi. And if he if he says no, I go to Graham Potter. If he says no, I probably just give up and go home. <laughs> but I think you'll get one of those three. I think any of the three would be excellent additions for United. Maximize what they have going for them. The young players in that academy, the young players in the first team group, the attacking talent, and patch together some of the issues. But United need to be realistic. They're a long way short of the top three. And you can bring in Conte all you want. He's not getting you anywhere higher than fourth this season. He may not even be able to manage it next season because the gap is substantial. I saw someone say, Eric Tanahag would be my pick because he wouldn't ruin what Ollie's built. And I couldn't figure out what he meant by what Ollie's built. Because I don't see that he's built anything. And if it is, it's a castle built on sand. It's built on Harry Maguire's massive arse, lumbering, painfully back towards his own goal, and Mo Salah gleefully skipping past him to lift the ball over David De Gea, terrified to leave his six-yard box. The other thing as well, just as a quick aside, popped into my head yesterday, said all last summer, all last season, all summer, so far this year, United needed two midfielders. It's what they needed. Two midfielders. Not Sancho, not Cristiano Ronaldo. They paid $90 million combined for those two. They're paying them £800,000 a week between them. That's 40 million a year. 
Think about that for a second. 40 million a year they're paying Sancho and Cristiano. Sancho's not even the team. And Cristiano has pressed less than every game he's played so far combined than Bobby Firmino did in the final third on Sunday. For £90 million, you could have bought Yves Basima, Basuma and Aurelin Chumeni and probably Max Aarons on top of that. It might have... It might have cost you a little bit more in fees than what you paid. Maybe it would have been 30 million for Aaron's, 40 for Basuma, and 35 for Chimeni. So it's about 105 million. But their combined wages, probably 250,000 a week. Saving you, by the way, 550,000 a week, or roughly. 27.5 million a year. So in the first year alone, you make up the difference in the transfer fees. And you have a much better team. Much better team. Just thought of it. Seemed funny. Anyway, we'll wrap up with the gossip and be done. Manchester United midfielder Paul Pogba ignored... Oli Gunnar Solskjaer after been sent off in the 5-0 defeat. Um, he didn't really ignore him. He just walked down the tunnel. And the tunnel at Old Trafford is in the corner. It's not by the dugouts as it is at most other clubs. It's in the corner. There was no way for him to acknowledge Oli unless he was turning and waving 50 yards back up the field. Pogba himself has come out and said this story's crap. Manchester United have drawn up a four-man shortlist to replace Solskjaer. Uh, Zidane, he's turned it down. He's no interest. He's already been clear on that. Conte, I don't think he should be on it. Rodgers and Ten Hag, yeah, fair enough. Uh, Pochettino remains United's number one choice. That does sound like something that might have truth to it. They have long coveted Pochettino. That one wouldn't surprise me. I don't know what I think about it. I don't know what I think about that, to be honest. Plays a 4-2-3-1. They don't really like they don't have a midfield pair. And Pochettino likes a nine. Like a proper nine. Now he could use Rashford the way he used Rashford the way he used Sun. Doesn't have an Ericsson. Doesn't have a playmaker like an Ericsson. But maybe he could use Bruno in that role. And then Greenwood kind of as the Deli Ali making the runs into the box, getting beyond the nine. Uh, maybe Martial is the nine. He he liked Martial. Spurs tried to sign him when, he was, when Pochettino was there. But that was to play with Kane, not instead of Kane. They don't have a number nine like Kane. They could play Cavani, but again, he's 35, almost 30. He's 34, almost 35. I don't know what he has left in the legs. They don't have the two midfielders that he would want. His best midfield was the Wanyama-Dembele midfield. They don't have anything like that at all. Um, you know, he, he used Kyle Walker and Kieran Trippier as his right-backs. Walker's pace, Trippier's ability on the ball, he rotated them. 
Wan-Bissaka has the pace. He's not as good a defender as Kyle Walker. Um, he's awful going forward, and the lot's not good enough going forward either. Uh, left back, Shaw as Danny Rose is fine. Centre backs, he might get away with because he was happy enough to play a deep line at times and play the two and sit deep in front. And they would press in the right areas, but they weren't a high pressing team. Uh, Pochettino could make sense. His tenure at PSG isn't going great and doesn't seem to be one to last a whole lot longer. Uh, Solskjaer has three games left to save his job. Three difficult games. Newcastle are willing to offer Ten Hag a salary of six million a year, but he is reluctant to leave Ajax. I think he would leave for United. I don't think he'd leave for Newcastle. Newcastle have not given up hope of luring Rafa Benitez back. Rafa won't walk on Everton. Rafa is too loyal of a man, I think, to walk on Everton. Former Roma boss Paolo Fonseca is prepared to accept the manager's position at Newcastle. So says Spufrizio Romano. Nobody should listen to him. Uh, Deli Ali has been left out of the squad to face Burnley in the Carabao Cup, putting his future in fresh doubt. According to the Mail, he may be injured. Who knows? Barcelona retain hope of securing Jurgen Klopp as a replacement for Ronald Koeman. Well, unless Ronald Koeman's going to stay another seven years, you've got no chance. Arsenal are struggling to convince William Saliba that he has a future at the club and could be forced to cash in. This is because they're idiots and they sent him on loan rather than keeping him. He would have been a better player in your team um, than he would be on loan for you. So uh, Arsenal are preparing to compete with Manchester City to secure the signing of Sergi Roberto. Arsenal have no need to sign him, neither do City. Wouldn't believe it for a minute. It is this Fahiz's nonsense that I mentioned earlier on. Um, Football agent Mina Raiola has been rejected by Donny van der Beek after he approached him to be his new... Okay, so this is from Mike Verej. I don't know who that is. Uh, but the piece itself is in the Express, which, to be fair, is garbage. Um, okay, apparently he signed with somebody called Ali Durson. So it wasn't Rayola that he signed with. He signed with someone called Ali Durson, who is also the agent of Frankie de Jong. But the tactics and the leaking to to Romano, it's very, very Mino. It's very Mino. Uh, Chelsea have offered, have been offered Matthias De Ligt as Juventus look to get him off the huge wage bill. I, I would imagine there's no truth to that at all. I would suggest... Looking at the Juventus squad, that if you have any ambition to build a truly great team, uh, as Juventus clearly do, that other than other than Chiesa, Delict is the most important player for them long term. You get rid of Chesney, Decilio. Artur, Danilo, Ramsey, Morata, Quadrado, Sandro, Kenny, Bernadeschi, Rugani, Rabio, Bentancourt, Kulazet. You'd get rid of them all before you'd get rid of Delict, other than um, other than Chiesa. Like they've got Delict. 
I like Artur. I'd keep him long term. Dybala, McKenny and Pellegrini, Keane, Kiao George, Chiesa, Rabio, Locatelli, Bentoncourt, and Kulazewski. They're who you would keep long term. And all the rest you would bin Elf. Every one of them. You'd keep Chiellini and Bonucci for you know their experience, their presence around the place, and the leadership. But all the rest you'd get rid of. All the rest you'd wave goodbye. Maybe what they should do is not have 5, 10, 15, 20. Maybe they shouldn't have 39 players out on loan. Maybe they should sell half of them. Just half of them. And maybe that will help with their financial state. What a load of tripe. They're not going to be offering to lick to anybody. Uh, Marcelo intends to stay in Europe after his departure from Real Madrid at the end of the season. Fair play to him. Aston Villa, AC Milan and Bayer Leverkusen are among the clubs interested in signing Julian Alvarez from River Plate. Great. Barcelona have told Usman Dembele he has one month to accept the latest the latest offer to extend his contract, which expires next summer. This is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What if he doesn't? What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? Because he's free to sign with whoever he wants on January 1st. So what are you going to do about it? Brilliant. Barcelona. A train wreck. This has been an extended edition of the Two-Footed Podcast. Hope you don't mind too much. Uh, but I will see you tomorrow. Send your questions to Guy Drinkle. Put them in the Anfield Index Discord. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.